So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. So if you need a Bible, again, raise your hand. They'll bring one to you. So as you're finding Ephesians chapter 1, um, I think God intentionally, through the Holy Spirit, as He used different writers in Scripture, left things out there that required us to dig deeper. If you remember, it says in Acts 17, 11 about the Bereans, he said they searched these things daily to find out if they were so. Paul would preach. They would go back and check Paul, make sure Paul was right. So I think God does that through his spirit. And this section here, for me, it was one of those cases. Um, Peter actually says in his second epistle, he says, you know, our, our brother Paul, I mean, he writes some things that are difficult to understand at times very end of his, his second letter. And this particular section, for me initially, was that that was the case. And hopefully I'll be able to explain it in a way that um, we're going to find out for the believers in the room um, our position in Christ. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's begin with verse 1. We're going to read 1 and 2 together and then go back through it and kind of dig deeper into what, what God has for us this morning. So it says, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see right in the beginning that the human author of it is Paul. And he calls himself an apostle of Christ. So for those that have been around Calvary or uh, through biblical teaching, that's essentially one that was, has been sent forth with orders, a, a messenger, a delegate, you might say. And so if, say for instance, someone gave you a Bible, you're not a believer, you open it up, you look up that word, and it says he's, he's sent, he's claiming he's sent by Jesus Christ, you've got to ask yourself, well, is that legitimate? Is Paul right in calling himself that? Well, I've got a, a reference verse from Acts chapter 9. Ben has it for us, and this kind of legitimizes the, the fact that he is one sent from Christ. So, but the Lord said to him, Ananias, so as a background, this is after Paul, on his way to the road to Damascus, was blinded by the light from Christ. He's got these scales over his eyes. He's in this city. So God appears to this guy, Ananias, one of his disciples in a dream. And he says, I want you to go to, to, to Paul. So look in Acts chapter 9, 15. It says, but the Lord said to him, Ananias, go, for he, meaning Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So that, if you go through Paul's ministry, that's the order in which his ministry was. He, he desired to go to his people. He was Jewish. But God sent him to the Gentiles. So fortunately for us, we have this, this particular letter addressed to the Ephesians. So we see exactly that. It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. So um, I'm not sure everyone's background as far as where, how they were brought up. And contrary to what other people teach or whatever people believe, a saint is, is literally one who's set apart for God's purposes. And we could say it's a holy one. So anyone who's in this room that has accepted Christ is a saint. Not You didn't perform five miracles and adopt 300 kids and save people from a burning building. That's someone who's accepted Christ as a personal Savior. And we're going to find out what that means this morning as we go through these verses. So someone who is set apart for God's purpose. So that's, that's who the letter is written to. And we find out a little bit about almost like a characteristic trait of what a saint would be. It tells us right here in verse 1, it says, faithful in Christ Jesus. 
So if you've got a, a pen and you take notes or, and you underline in your Bible, I didn't realize that that small preposition, I-N, meant so much. And we're going to find that out in these first 14 verses. So as I go to it, as I go through these verses, you'll see what I'm talking about. Because it says, these saints, or even if you want to use your own name in there, that are in Clayton, North Carolina, those that are faithful, it says that we are in Christ Jesus. That is the position of every Christian who has accepted Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. If you don't get anything from today's teaching, you're going to get that, that you are in Christ Jesus. So it gives us this deeper understanding of this relationship with our God. We are in Christ Jesus. So verse 2 is similar to the other epistles, the, the letters that Paul has written. He uses this greeting, grace, which in the Greek it means charis. And, and peace in, in the Hebrew, shalom. And he follows it up from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, if you've been around uh, biblical teaching, you'll notice the order of things. We cannot have the true peace of God without the grace of God. And we're going to see that today, that we cannot have that. And it, and it comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus And when Jesus was on the earth, he talked about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to send a helper, a comforter, uh, a paracletes in, in the Greek, one who comes alongside, and that one is going to help you, is going to guide you, going to convict you of sin, going to show you how to live this life. And obviously when we go through scriptures, he, he shows us things here. But right after that, Jesus says, peace I leave you, and my peace I give you, referring to the Holy Spirit. And we see that here as Paul is reminding the Ephesians that we have this grace of God, and because of that, we have the peace of God. So let's continue. Verse 3 tells us, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, again, in Christ. So if you want to underline that again, in Christ. So Paul starts out this verse saying, Blessed be the God and Father. And that word, blessed, or blessed, however you want to pronounce it. It's coming from the word, it's a Greek word, eugolitos, where we get the word eulogy. It's often spoken of at a, at a funeral, and it literally means to speak well of. But in this particular instance, the, the, the verb form of this, or the, the adjective described here, it, it literally means to be praised. So if we looked at it like that, we could say, Praised be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, all glory and honor is due to him. And we see that here. Mark 14, 61. This is Jesus when, he's in, in, when they had the, the trial, the, the kangaroo court, if you want to call it. They, they were giving him false claims, accusing him of things before he was crucified. And it says he, meaning Jesus Christ, kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? The same word we see here this morning. Are you the Son of the Praised One, the one that deserves all the glory and the honor? And we see in verse 3 here that it says, Praise be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. So now, now we look at, at ourselves, those believers those sacred ones, the holy ones, the ones that have been set apart for God, the, the ones that have accepted Christ. And this form of that word, 
is a, is a verb form of that same to speak well of word. And it literally means to benefit or to prosper. And this does not mean prosper your bank account. Okay, we, we need to remember that, that this is related to the things that God desires in our relationship with him and who we are. Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord, the same word in, in the Hebrew for praised. And what does he do? He daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. There's this daily loading of benefits from the Lord. We, we also read that in Lamentations, his mercy is new every morning. It's daily. We just talked about, or we sang about the breath in our lungs. In, in John chapter 3, it says, we don't have anything that hasn't been given to us by God. The breath in our lungs. We have no control of that. It's all from God. And it says here in verse 3 that this awesome God and Father and, and Father and Lord Jesus Christ, it says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. There, you see the, the realm of how much that is. It's almost like saying the word all. There's no um, restriction on that. Every spiritual blessing. And we see where that blessing comes from. It tells us the location in the heavenly places and in the word I want you to, the phrase I want you to remember today, in Christ. So we've been blessed from these spiritual blessings from the heavenly places in Christ. And as we go through this, you might often wonder, what, what does that mean? How can I, heavenly places, how, how can that be? I'm here on earth. We're in Ephesians. You, you might not need to turn the page. It's in chapter 2. And look with me in, in verses 5 and 6. It's the same book, chapter 2, 5 and 6. They're talking about these spiritual blessings that, that he has blessed us. Past tense, he has blessed us. It's already been blessed. He's blessed us. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 tells us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And what happened in verse 6? And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places. And here's our, our phrase, in Christ Jesus. So as a believer, when we read that, we realize that our position, even though physically we're here, and the fact that God stands outside of time and he knows everything, and he sees everything from the beginning to the end, sees us through the lens of, of, of Jesus Christ and his shed blood for us. Verse 4, it tells us, Just as he, meaning God the Father, chose us in him, there's that in word, in him, in Christ, when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, before God the Father. So if we read that in those terms, we would say God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before God the Father in love. So this section, these in the next few verses are, have caused, I, don't, I wouldn't say controversy, somewhat of, I wouldn't even say split. There's debate about, Armin, I don't even know how to say it, Arminism or Arminism, whatever it is, and Calvinism. These two thoughts, right? Okay, you get the point. And so let's let Scripture tell us what that means. So the word chose, it says he chose, God the Father chose, he picked out, he selected or he elected us. This is where we get that election. But the key is that it's in him, in Christ. We've been chosen. 
We've been selected. We've been elected in Christ. And we find out, okay, when did all this happen? This is almost like our, our, our life story, our spiritual life story. For a believer, we find out all this happened before the foundation of the world. So if someone in the, in the room can tell me a day when that occurred, um, we can't. It's as far back as we can think it's eternity past, as we want to call it. Got a verse that kind of explains it a little bit, and it goes even further. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. I encourage you to write these verses in your column. It says in 2 Thessalonians, another letter of Paul, 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Brethren, <clears throat> beloved by the Lord, because God, here we go with our time frame, from the beginning chose you, the same word we see here, and he chose us for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So we've been chosen from the beginning. Verse 4 here in Ephesians, from the foundation of the world. And we find out that why we're, we're told that. It says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So holy, what is that, that word? Similar to, we looked at the word saints. Holy is someone who's been separated, consecrated to God for his purposes. So the Greeks in this particular portion, you know, the, geographically as well as in the time frame, they knew what that word meant. They, they used that word holy, but to them it meant dedicated to the gods, to the Greek gods. Whereas it, when we find out that the true meaning of being holy, it's dedicated to God. And we should be holy, and it says without blame, and literally exactly what, what it means. But it means faultless and without blemish. You remember in the Old Testament, what these sacrifices need to be uh, without blemish and perfect. So the dilemma lies in the fact that light and darkness cannot coexist in the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Because it tells us here that we should be holy and without blame. And how, and how is that possible? How is someone who you know, has a sin nature... We need to go back to the fact that we are in, in, in him. And he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And the solution can be found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, God the Father, made him God the Son, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us. You could put your name there, to be sin for you. That we might become the righteousness of God. And here we go again, in him, in Christ. And we are in Christ. And this being holy, set apart, this being without blame, blameless, without blemish, it says we're gonna, it's going to be before him, God the Father, in love. Jude, one of, uh, you've got James and Jude were the, I'm not sure of the correct terminology, on the earth, Jesus had these earthly brothers. I don't know, half step, I'm not sure how to do it. But Jude was one of them, so was James, the books we have in the Bible. So Jude... Chapter 1, there's only one chapter. So verses 24 and 25 tell us, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to do what? And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Father, God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. I mean, he, Jude just lays it all out. He's going to present us because we are in Christ, Christ, God the Father, views us in the fact that through Christ, through what he did for us on the cross. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. 
Not only are we chosen, not only are we elected, but now 5 and 6 tells us, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, verse 6, as to the praise and the glory of his grace, by which he made us, what? Accepted in the beloved. That's another way of saying in Christ. So it says here, having predestined us, predestination. So in the Greek, Greek word, it's poriozo, but it literally means to be marked out beforehand, to be predetermined, to be appointed, decided beforehand, as we just, we just read in the previous verse, before the foundation of the world, before the beginning of time. And the, the, the key with that word in Scripture, it's, it's the fact that the next part after it says predestined is the important part. And get, get where I'm going with this. So in other words, if, we, if you went out to the street right now and you ran into someone that's not a believer and you said, you know what, you've been predestined. They would say predestined to what? So the same thing in Scripture, it says predestined, predestined but it says to what? The adoptions of sons. Romans 8, 29, it says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined, the same word, to what? to be conformed to the image of his son, that's us, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And we find out this predestination, what this adoption, and we find out how. It says, by Jesus Christ to himself. You know, the fact that we're in him, this, this adoption and this predestination is because of what Christ, it says, to himself. John 1.12 Again, another verse for you to write down. But as many as received him, he gave them the right or the authority to become children of God. And there's this condition to those who believe in his name. As we read through scripture, it says even, even the demons believe. All right? But do we believe in the fact that we put all of our trust in Christ? We accept him. Not that, oh yeah, you go take a, a poll and someone said, yeah, I believe in God, but who is God defined for you? Those who believe in his name, we have the right, the authority to become children of God. And it says here, having predestined us to adoptions as sons. So in the Greek, in English, we're reading adoptions as son, adoption as sons. Those three English words, but in the Greek, it's one, and it means to place a son, which which makes sense. Listen to this good description of it. It says, in the Roman law, when the adoption was complete, it was complete indeed. The person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family and completely lost all rights to his old family. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person. So new was even that all his debts and obligations connected with his previous family were abolished as they had never been, never existed. All right, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that once we walked according to the prince of the power of the air, we, that was our old self. We were enemies with God, but now we've been adopted because what? We were in Christ. Romans eight fifteen. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but what? But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, which is that, that, that relationship with the Father. And we find out here in verse 6 of Ephesians, this, this predestination, this adoption, we find out how it's 
being played out, it says, according to the good pleasure of his will. That just the sovereignty of God and the plan he has for our lives. Verse 6 says, to the praise and the glory of his grace. I don't know if Dallas and Ashley are in here, but I saw them earlier. So that the word praise, the name Judah. So if you've got a, a family member by the name of Judah, that means to praise. In this this praise and the glory of his grace, we see that the grace of God is to be is glorified even. It says to the praise and the glory of his grace. This predestination and the adoption is because of his grace, right? And it says, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. The word accepted, you know, we, we use that obviously in English. But the word used here in the Greek, it comes from the word grace. And it literally means to be full of grace. So if we read it that way, by which he made us full of grace in the beloved. Because of the praise and glory of his grace, now we are full of his grace. Because why? We are in the beloved, it says. If you remember when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and it was the Mount Transfiguration, and, and the boys fell asleep, they woke up. Jesus was talking with Moses and Elijah, and, and then Peter you know, typically the first one to speak up says, hey, I got a good idea. Let's build three temples. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for, for Jesus. And then, you know, obviously God put the brakes on that real quick and it tells us there was a, a cloud came down and overshadowed them. And Luke 9.35 says, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. You know, this, this word in the beloved that we see at the end of verse 6 as what God was telling Peter, James, and John. Hear him. This is my beloved. And let's continue together. Verses 7 and 8, it says, starts out with our phrase, the N-word, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Here's that grace again. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. In him. We have redemption. What is redemption? Redemption's not, I mean, it's not something totally that we use a lot in the English language. It is a word, obviously. And it means to be released from payment, deliverance, or in this situation, re released from a state of slavery of sin. And the, the problem is, or the, the fact is, the wages of sin is what? Death. And we see here, we have this release of payment through his blood. So it's almost like if you get a gift card, the person who gave you a gift card had to put money on the card, and then you take the card to, to Walmart and you redeem it. It's been redeemed because someone paid the price back then. And that's what we see here. We, we have this redemption. We can now have this redemption through Christ's blood. This word forgiveness, it, it's from the word meaning to send away, to let go, to pardon. And we, we see in Scripture in the Old Testament about the scapegoat. They would have put the sins of the, 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 the symbolism was the, the, the priest would put, have a, a scapegoat that he would put his hand on the head of the scapegoat and all the sins of the people and it would get loosened to the, to the wilderness. So that was the idea of the sins because of the sacrifices. And that's what we see here. Because of his blood, we have this forgiveness as if they had never been committed Spurgeon said this. I like this. It says, 
Observe, it's not redemption through his power. It is through his blood. It is not redemption through his love. It is through his blood, right? Those things are important in our walk, right? The power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the love. But from the redemption standpoint, it required sacrifice. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. They should have this up on the screen for you. Write that down. It says, Knowing that you were not redeemed, there's our word, with corruptible or perishable things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition of, of, from your fathers. But what were we redeemed with? With the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot, we just read about being without blame. He indeed has, was foreordained. Here we, here, here's our phrase again. Before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So we see at the very end of verse 7 that this redemption through his blood, which resulted in the forgiveness of sin, look what it says. It was according to the riches of his grace. Now we, we saw earlier the praise of his grace. And now we see the riches of his grace. And, and it's exactly that, this fullness, this abundance of his grace. Paul uses that word riches five times in this book of Ephesians, twice talking about God's grace, twice talking about God's glory. And there's even one verse that says the unsearchable riches of Christ. He, he can't even, you know, it's beyond even, you know, understanding, comprehension. Verse 8, it says, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. This abounding towards us in all wisdom and prudence or understanding is another word. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. And here's the purpose. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. This grace abounds in us. The riches of it. We are rich because we are in Christ. Verse 9 tells us. It says, Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. And I, I, I'm using that as another cheat, cheat word of underlining the in Christ, in God, in himself. This mystery, having made known to us this mystery. Uh, so this isn't mystery as in um, those are, that grew up in the 80s, this, this show Unsolved Mysteries. You're trying to figure out what happened. This from the word that's being used here, is a previously hidden truth. And, and Paul uses that word mystery six times here in, just in this, in this book. So if we look at it from that standpoint, it's exactly that. So it's something that cannot be understood naturally, but it's only by, through divine intervention that we can see what it is. So we're in chapter 1. Look with me in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, because now we're going to see what is this mystery that Paul was alluding to. So if you turn to chapter 3, verse 6, we're going to see the whole chapter, chapter 3, talks about the mystery. But I, I just want to read one verse without obviously reading the whole chapter. So Ephesians 3, 6 tells us that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise. What do we see? In Christ through the gospel. There we go again, in Christ. So this mystery that we see is the fact that for those in the room that are not Jewish, Gentiles, we're now going to be part of this. 
And it's according to his will, the mystery of his will. And we see that it's according to his good pleasure. And his good pleasure, he says he purposed in himself. God purposed this in Christ. The word purposed is to set forth. And I, and I said I kind of cheated and said I underline in himself meaning one of that because some of the translations actually say that. They say he purposed in Christ. So that's another one of the, the end statements, the end words that we see here. So in himself, in Christ. Look with me in verse 10. It says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. There we go again. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Again, if you don't get from today that we are in Christ, um, dig deep and you'll see that. So it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, that dispensation is, is the, the word mean, meaning to arrange or to administer at a, at a particular time. We have a glimpse of that when Christ was born in Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 5. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. There we go. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons. We see this fullness of time. So we see this arrangement, or this fullness of time, that, that at some point, it says, God might gather together in one, literally to unite, to sum up, together in one, all things in Christ. And it says, not only on earth, it says, which in heaven and earth, in Christ. So we, from, you know, from a biblical standpoint, we see hints of that during the millennial reign when, when Christ is on the earth. But ultimately, you know, when we went through the book of Revelation, the last two chapters, 21 and 22, we see this gathering together when, when all this will be in Christ is going to be at the very end of, of God's word. We see that. Okay, so let's look at verses 11 and 12. And it starts out with our phrase, In him also we have obtained an inheritance. So not only are we chosen, we've predestinated, we've been adopted. Now we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. So when we started the, the book, started, you know, the letter, we saw that he wrote it to the saints, to the holy ones in Ephesus, which um, was comprised of not only Jewish believers, but also Gentiles who converted over to Judaism, as we call proselytes. So the letter itself is written to that, that whole group, Gentiles and Jews that, that believe in Christ, have accepted him. But particularly here, when he says also we have obtained an inheritance. And he goes on to say, we first trusted. He's referring directly to the Jews. And you'll see where I'm going as I continue through this and go to the next verse. So if we look at it from that standpoint, he's talking to the Jews that have obtained an inheritance, a heritage, you know, something that like property that gets given or, you know, descends down to an heir when someone dies. Usually we know what inheritance is. So it says in him, in Christ, the Jews have obtained this inheritance, right? In 1 Peter 1, 4, it describes, you know, this inheritance not only for the Jews, but any believer in Christ. We get a description of what this inheritance is all about. It says in 1 Peter 1, 4, 
An inheritance that's incorruptible, meaning imperishable, undefiled, does not fade away, where? Reserved in heaven for you. You know, ultimately, this is going to be when we're with him in eternity, this, this inheritance that we see. It says we have obtained it. We were heirs in Christ. So for those in the room that are married and that will be married, there's a verse in First Peter that talks about men to treat our wives how we should. And if you don't, your prayers are going to get hindered. And it goes on to tell us that as husbands and wives, we are heirs together of the grace of life. So for the, the married couples in this room, you know, marriage is this, this picture of, of us in Christ. We are also heirs together of the grace of life, a husband and a wife. So it says that we were predestined according to the purpose of him, the Jews, who seeks, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We see his will again. Verse 12 tells us that we, meaning the Jews, who first trusted in Christ, should be the, to the praise of his glory in Christ. First trusted in Christ, the Jews. Romans 1.16 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. We mentioned that earlier. It requires a belief. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. So we see first to the Jew. In Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 4 or 5, around verse 20, it talks about Israel being his inheritance, the Jewish people being his inheritance. So 11 and 12, again, is, is more focused on, on the Jewish believers. Verse 13, look what it says. Here we go with our word, our phrase. In him, in Christ, you also trusted. Okay, so those are the, the proselytes, the non-Jewish folks, which would be us in this room. And look at the order here. It says, you also trusted after you heard. So we heard, then we trusted and we heard what? The gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So in him, in Christ, we go through this order of hearing, trusting, believing, and being sealed. So we heard. And the word that's being, the Greek word, is aku, where we get the word acoustics. Okay, we're, we're familiar with that. It literally means to learn from the mouth of a teacher or a narrator. So we heard. And what did we hear? From the word of truth, it says. You heard the word of truth. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we also read in Scripture, it says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And it specifically here, they heard the word of truth. But Paul tells us a little bit more about this truth. It says, the gospel of your salvation. And we always know that, that the word gospel, meaning good news, it's where we get the evangelion, where we get the word evangelize. And the good news of your salvation. It's not the good news of your grandpappy's salvation. This is a personal relationship. The good news of your salvation. You know, we, we know in Scripture that God desires all men to be saved, that none should perish. You know, but God so loved the world that whosoever, this is a personal thing. We're all going to stand individually before Christ. And it says... In him, in whom also, in whom also having believed. And I think I'm, I'm cheating here because in whom, in this particular situation, is in Christ. 
in whom you believed. You heard about this gospel of salvation. You trusted it, and now you believed. And that believed is exactly that. To think something's true, you put your full confidence in in this situation, you're going to rely on it. And, it. and it talks about us as believers. Because we're believers, we believe we have our full faith and trust in Christ. I mean, you had faith enough to sit in the chair you're sitting in to think it would hold you. If we have simple things of you have faith that your car is going to get you from A to B, you know, even within life itself, we have faith of small things, but this is so much more important. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. John the Baptist is in prison. So it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, and what did he do? Preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And then we see a quote of what Jesus was saying. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and do what? Believe in the gospel. Believe in this good news, the good news of salvation. After this belief, after we heard, we trusted, we believed, we are sealed. And that's the, the, the awesome part. It says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So this sealing, it, it denotes, you know, ownership of something, security in something, you know, and it, and it shows that we belong to him because we keep reading through this in him, in Christ, in the beloved, in whom we know all through this. We are his now. Later on, you might have to flip the page if you want to look or just let me read it to you. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here he's bringing up, it's like the continual weaving of these words and these phrases in Scripture to remind us to, this is what's going on. It's a repetition that we learn these things. Where we just, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus, when he was on the earth, he, he told the, the disciples, he says, you know what, I'm leaving, I'm going, but it's going to benefit you because I'm going to send one after me, the comforter, you know, parakletos in, in the Greek, one who comes alongside you, the helper. And he tells them that it's going to guide them. The same thing with us. When you believe, we, we accept it. And it says you were sealed. And then he goes on to tell them, after he talks about this, this spirit, this spirit of promise. So it says, Luke 24, 29, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with the power on high. This was what he was referring to, what happened at Pentecost. So this, I send the promise of my Father, and if your Bibles might have it as a capital P, and it says, Back in Ephesians, we just read, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that's what Jesus was referring to, the Holy Spirit as, the promise of my Father. So we come now to verse 14, the last verse in our study here. It says, this Holy Spirit of promise that we were sealed with, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? Guarantee. This Holy Spirit that we've been sealed with is the guarantee. If you've got King James, it says earnest. If you've bought a house before, you probably know this. They want you to put down a down payment, earnest money, as they call it even. Essentially, it's part of the money that you're going to be given in advance. And that's what this Holy Spirit is for us. It's used, this word, this, this word guarantee is used three times in Scripture. 
It's used obviously here in Ephesians. And then Ben has the other one, 2 Corinthians 1.22. And it's always in reference to the Holy Spirit. This guarantee, the down payment. Who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, as a down payment. 2 Corinthians 5.5, 5, later on in that chapter, he says, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us a Spirit as a guarantee. So we see this word guarantee. And so as you know, the, the New Testament was written in Greek and the Old Testament in the Hebrew. And this is pretty amazing. This word that's being used for guarantee is in the Greek. It's arabon. And that word, you put an A on the end of it, arabona means engagement ring. So kind of let that sink in a moment. And let me explain this. So the Holy Spirit is our engagement ring. And so if you look at what we just read in verse 13, it said, similar to, you know, for those in the room that are married, like when you were courting, you're going out with your future spouse, you know, you talk to each other, right? You heard what they were saying. We heard the word of God. You trusted in what they're saying because you married them. Hopefully you trusted them. You believe what they were saying, right? You believed and then what happened? He puts that ring on the finger. He sealed, he sealed it. So it's almost like, God uses this Holy Spirit as this engagement ring for his purchased possession. And it's a guarantee of our inheritance. And inheritance is exactly that, this inherited property. I like this quote here, a description of this guarantee of our inheritance. It says, the eternal blessedness of the consummated kingdom of God, which is to be expected after the visible return of Christ. And when we're face to face with him before he establishes his kingdom on earth and we're with him forever, this is this guarantee, this Holy Spirit. We're his own possession. It says it there, until the redemption of the purchased possession. And we read earlier in verse 7 that it was from the blood, the precious blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 through 20. And these are the last reference verses. It says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Why? Verse 20, for you were bought at a price, the precious blood of Christ. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, we are in Christ. We belong to him. We are his possession. Twelve times through this, verses 1 through 14, that, you know, in him, in the beloved, in whom, in, in the blessed. All, Twelve times he says that. So if there's anything that we can learn from this is our position within Christ. So the question, obviously you would ask yourself, am I a believer? Am I in Christ? Does all these things I was up here talking about relate to me? If not, you can be. And that's the amazing part, that he desires all men to be saved. So Dustin, if you guys want to go ahead and come on up. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises in your word, Lord, and um, for your spirit you give us, Lord, as we just read so much about how you view us uh, through your son, through the precious blood. Lord, we thank you for that and the riches of grace that we have because of it, Lord. Help us to live our lives in that way, knowing that, Lord. Use us this week, Lord, as we go to work. Um, Help us to have that deeper relationship with you, to open your word 
as we've looked at these things, help us to explore even deeper, Lord, and, and talk to us through your scripture, Lord. Use us. Let us use the gifts you've given us through your spirit, Lord, to edify one another, to glorify you. Lord, we give you the honor, we give you the praise, and we thank you, Father. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen.